you know, you see a lot of kids come in who had releases done in like in the first three years of life and they have these issues. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, is that really what we're, is that really what we're dealing with here? Welcome back to the Freely Rooted Podcast, guys. I am your host, Corey, and unfortunately, my co-host had to sit this interview out. But for this episode, I interviewed one of the wisest women I have ever come into contact with. And this intro is actually really important to me that I express a few things. So I encourage you to listen to it in its entirety before diving into kind of the meat and the potatoes of the episode. But first, little fun fact about culture in Hawaii. Here on the islands, out of kind of endearment and respect, you call those who are a little bit older and a little bit wiser than you, your uncles and aunties. Um, it's very familial, it's really beautiful. And I think of Michelle, who's coming on this podcast uh, for our episode today, as this really wise auntie, full of ancestral and ancient and traditional knowledge that I feel like I would have learned in a pre-industrial world from you know, mothers and grandmothers and communities of women. And I think a lot of you listening to this will feel the exact same way. It's such an honor whenever Michelle gets to come into a room and speak. Um, people hold her words with such like respect. And I'm just so excited for her to be here today. So this topic that we're covering is the bigger picture of tongue ties. We are seeing tongue tie and oral tie diagnoses left and right. And the allopathic way, as you guys know, of dealing with a diagnosis is what we are largely seeing today. So if there's a tie, you cut the tie, you laser the tie, you get rid of the tie, right? But Michelle was the first person in my life that introduced me to the bigger picture. We all have Frenna, and Michelle will talk about this in the episode today, but sometimes when someone pulls up their tongue or their lip and someone goes, oh, that's a tongue tie, it's really just the frenum that's there and it can be tighter or looser um, in person to person, depending on several factors. Those factors could be your birth story, your nervous system, and so much more. Um, a lot of it is environmental. And is it possible that as a standard, we are cutting things that we are calling a tongue tie, but it's really just a tight frenum and needs to be addressed systemically? If that's the case, that's a problem. And essentially that's why we sat down to talk about it because Michelle is seeing the trajectory of where this is going and she's going, hey, let's have a conversation and what can we do from here to transform the way that we see a tongue tie. So a little bit about my story for context um, because it's helpful for this episode is that my story started with my son when he was 18 months old. I had brought him to a holistic dentist for the first time and they diagnosed him right then and there with a tongue in a severe lip tie and said we need to take care of this immediately because it could lead to XYZ down the road. You've heard the things, sleep apnea, um, orthodontic issues, mouth breathing, all the things. So I felt really overwhelmed and also fearful, um, but also rushed. And I took some time and space to process it and asked myself if this felt right. And truly by divine intervention, I eventually found Michelle. We also moved to Hawaii at the same time. And I ended up mentoring under Michelle and having her work on my son. It was actually one of the first people I met on the island. And we realized that there was actually no medical reason to treat that frena. It was a tight frena and the tightness released as a response to body work and nervous system regulation. And as he has grown, we have just continued to watch his body. As an example, only a few months ago, um, you know, to get specific, he was telling me that one of his teeth was hurting him. I checked that tooth. It was a back molar. And his frenum over that tooth was actually super, super tight. And it hadn't been tight like that before. 
I texted Michelle. She sent me to my chiropractor, Molly, who is actually also currently mentoring under Michelle. And after Molly worked on him, did her thing, also did a little nervous system work, guess what? The frenum loosened. The tooth no longer hurt him. And had I brought him to a dentist, we probably would have had a different diagnosis, a different treatment plan. You feel me? So fast forward to the birth of my daughter, my midwife, who is also a naturopath, takes a look inside her mouth upon birth, diagnoses her with a lip and a tongue tie, and asks me if I want to take care of it right then and there with her scissors. Um, I was also in an incredible amount of pain that was increasing by the hour to the point where I could not even nurse her without shaking. Like my body had those shakes from being in so much acute pain. I know many of you guys have experienced this, but I declined the scissors. I called Michelle. I was incredibly grateful that she could just drive down from the mountain on the island and come to my house and look at story. And after one hour of working on her, she transformed into a different baby. And again, no medical reason to treat the frenum because it wasn't technically tied. It was just tight. So you guys see the difference there. And it responded beautifully to body work and nervous system regulation. And my pain with nursing immediately left because Michelle addressed her function, not the little piece of skin there. She was addressing the full picture and the function. Function is what is important. And we addressed and still do address her body holistically and watch her as she grows and give her the best opportunity to grow into her body. Um, and to be honest, we are actually rarely looking inside of her mouth. We are always looking at function and how her body is moving and what she is communicating. So now that you guys have that context and my own personal experience and story with this, and also just why I'm so passionate about it, um, this leads us to the episode because we are going to be basically talking about where things are going with the tongue tie community and treatment and where Michelle is transforming it because she mentors not only parents, but providers from all over the world. And before we jump in, I just need to be fully transparent with how this episode has transpired so far, because we actually sat down and recorded this episode one day and my mic ended up being on mute. So the entire episode was on mute and we lost the entire episode. Um, but instead of being bummed out, we honestly just trusted that it happened for a reason and believed that something was going to be covered on the second recording that was going to be more valuable to our listeners. Um, and in between the time of recording our first episode and our redo episode, I made a post on Instagram introducing people to this idea of a bigger picture to the tongue tie. And let me tell you <laughs> that the response was passionate. I had hundreds, you guys, hundreds of people in my DMs telling me that their baby stopped nursing cold turkey after their release or revision because it was so traumatizing to the baby's nervous system and their mouth that they never went back to the breast. Then I had people telling me that their babies to this day will only nurse while asleep because they are terrified of something coming near their mouths while awake. I also had people reaching out to tell me that they are currently going through therapy because the sound of their babies screaming during surgery still haunts them to this day. And the entire experience was such a nightmare um, that they realized that they needed professional help. So keep in mind that these are the majority of the messages that I'm receiving in my inboxes. People telling me that they had a traumatic experience with a revision and they're still dealing with the repercussions today. At the same time that I'm getting these messages from moms, I'm getting messages from another whole group of people who are practitioners or providers who are telling me that what I'm sharing is dangerous and fear-mongering because it's going to risk scaring people out of getting a revision for their baby. And if they don't get a revision, then things could lead to X, Y, Z down the road. You know, we've heard the story. 
But based on a poll that I put up on my Instagram stories where thousands of you guys voted, only about 50% of you guys had a successful outcome through a revision. The other about 50% had underlying issues that continued. On top of that, I had another group of people reach out and say that they are confused um, on why I'm even talking about this because they don't understand the big deal of having a revision. Um, why not just do it because you don't want to lead to XYZ down the road and it's the reason that their baby was able to breastfeed today. So do you see the polarity in this topic? It's emotionally charged. We are talking about babies. We're talking about trauma. We're talking about breastfeeding and we're talking about fear here. This is big. It's heavy. And I had what felt like a hangover after reading through so many of these messages because people were so passionate about their experiences, but they seemingly contradicted each other, right? So keeping all that in mind, what I want to say to every single person listening to this episode, no matter what your experience has been, no matter what your education is, you are going to feel validated by the end of this episode, every single one of you guys. And what I also want to say is based on that education and experience, there is a good chance that some of you are coming into this episode with a judgment already in place, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And I invite you to let that go, listen to the interview with an open mind and with open ears. And if you are a provider or a healthcare professional, I am so excited for you to listen because this episode is equally for you as it is for everyone else. But the moral of the story is that one size fits all standard treatments have never gotten us anywhere. If you've listened to the podcast from the beginning, you already know this to be true. But the reason why this episode is so important to me to have on this podcast is because what we talk about here on the podcast is all about building capacity, regulating our nervous systems. And when we realize how much the nervous system impacts our fascia, we realize that we have to lead by example for our babies. They learn from us. And we'll talk about that practically in the episode. So I hope you guys walk away feeling empowered, validated, heard, and having learned something new. And enjoy the episode from your auntie, Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. This is this has been a long time coming. Um, an episode I've been very excited to do, and I know that you are too. And I would love to just start by you telling us kind of who you are, why you have gotten into this work, and just give us a little bit of your story. Yeah, sure. Um, I did not get into this field because I wanted to be here. <laughs> um, after... Uh, five, having birthed five children of my own, eight pregnancies and five children, uh, breastfed them, natural birthed, home birthed, broke into a hospital to have one with a midwife. I mean, it was, was one adventure after another and um, homeschooled, uh, you know, basically the 25 year ago version of what you and Fallon are doing now. I was doing Weston A. Price. And, um, I had had um, a history of uh, migraines for about 12 years. And so after an attempt to see a TMJ specialist that was not successful and thousands of dollars later, I went to a local orthodontist and I said, hey, put my, put my smile back together. And he said, oh, by the way, you have a tongue thrust. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and so I, I said, what do I do about that? And he explained to me how that muscular pattern could influence my outcome. And it was a functional issue. And I needed to do this kind of therapy in order to have a little bit of insurance around what he was going to do. And I was like, I'm all for it. I'll do it. <laughs> and um, we didn't have one in town. And I 
learned that because of my background in nursing, I could go take this training. And so I did. And then I took another training and then I co-taught a training and then I took an advanced training and you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. And after I did myofunctional therapy with my initial instructor, my headaches went away Mm. and I corrected my oral function, my, my oral rest posture and lip competence and swallow and all those things. And it was fabulous. And I was just loved that therapy. I thought it was great. Um, my headaches went away. And then at an advanced myofunctional course, I had a physical therapy look, a physical therapist look at me and go, you've got a posterior tongue tie. And it's so interesting because that was what, like eight, eight years ago or nine years ago or something. I don't, time is just weird lately. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> and so I remember this, this feeling of like indignant, like victimhood come up. Like how come nobody ever told me about this? And what, you know, and, and I've had all these issues and all this pain and, you know, I just wanted to kind of throw the whole like victim barrel at them, you know, and I talked to my TMJ doctor and I was like, why, you know, why didn't you tell, you know, and I I went through that whole like drama queen, vindictive kind of victim like thing. And, and so, um, you know, when I, when I see parents today, you know, you know, just, slinging around, you know, the, the hardcore, you know, it was missed by so many people. I relate. I understand. I felt that I won the Oscar for that, you know, that was my, you know, and so, um, you know, and, and at that time I was teaching and speaking internationally and I was publishing and I wrote the article, the Tetherberg tether flow article that a lot of lactation consultants still use today. And, oh. Yeah, you know, it's an oldie but goodie, right? And um and I and I went and prepared for this in the best ways that were available to us at the time. Mm. Okay. So you've got to remember this is a young field. Mm-hmm. This is not taught in schools. This is not this is all post-licensure continuing education that that doctors and professionals shuck out lots of money to go to go do, right? To learn about. Totally. So yeah. So keep that in mind that this is not taught in school. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is, this is after license education. And I was a part of creating the, the paradigms and the treatment sequences we have now. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I did that, you know, nine and 10 years ago, where we had integrative care under one roof and it was lactation and it was body work and, and there was the release and the education and the support. And we would, we would make relationships with families that begin to grow them up into anticipatory growth to address early orthodontic issues, that kind of stuff. So I was a part of all of that back then. And this is a young, evolved, quickly evolving field, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I prepared and I had wonderful support um, through chiropractic and osteopathy and um, soft tissue work. I mean, I, I had, you know, I had it, I had it all and myofunctional therapy and my ex is a dentist and he did a laser release on me. And I had, I used a special laser afterwards that, you know, wasn't even, that stuff wasn't even being done then. Right. 
this was like way, this was like way ahead of the time. I was the freak. What does they say? What did they say? It, it, it's, if you get too far ahead of everybody else, then you're just like a crackpot, you know? Totally. Okay, well, I was the crackpot nine years ago, like doing all this weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, what happened was a few weeks later, um, my, um, I'm going to silence this. Sorry about that. Um, I, um, ended up in the hospital with, um, a ruptured, I'm not talking about just, it blew up. I'm talking about it disintegrated appendix, Mm. um, that went into a collapsed lung, sepsis, 11 days in the hospital. I lost like 30 pounds. Mm. You know, I'd I'd never been a size two. I was a size two when I got out of the hospital. Who's a size two? Not me. (laughs) And, you know, and, and so my, I can remember my surgeon through this dilated haze of intense pain going, you're falling apart from the inside out and I can't stop it. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what is happening to me? It was like some kind of alternate reality that was like waking dream state of me watching myself like try to die. It was the most bizarre experience. And I had people staying with me at night and and helping me during the day. And then I spent the next three months recovering. I ended up having three surgeries, 13 holes in my abdomen. I had a drain through my SI joint in the back. I mean, I would look like I had been through like a complete disaster. My gosh. And it didn't hit me at first. It was a while later. I'm like, oh, those are related. Those are connected. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep in mind that we created one of the first integrative centers in the United States. And we were a destination practice. So we had people fly in, drive in, thousands of cases. I mean, I'm I'm thousands of cases deep in this. Wow. And, um, and, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is me not regulating into a new space. I could not maintain what was created in my body. I collapsed mm. energetically, physically, emotionally. I just collapsed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty mind-blowing. So for years, I didn't really publicly associate the two. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is too weird. I can't say anything, you know? And then what happened was a couple of years later, another very well-known lactation consultant came to me and she said, this is what happened after my first release. This is what happened after my second release. And the second time she fell and ended up with, fell and ended up with a concussion, a very significant concussion. Seriously. Seriously. So these kinds of events are really what I've learned more common than we really know, because there's a, there's a, there's a lack of, there's a disconnect, right? Between this small procedure, right? And the way the body holds itself together and, and has consciousness and functions in the world, right? So what happened was after that, after I came back to work, and I started looking at these babies very differently. And the way I got interested in babies, well, to work with babies was, I was at an advanced course, the same one where the posterior connection on me was diagnosed. And a very well-known lactation consultant said, you need to start looking at babies. And I was like, nah, no, I don't, I don't wanna do that. And then I couldn't stop looking at babies. And so 
that's, that's how that started. And then um, before that I had been doing oral facial myofunctional therapy with craniofacial orthodontics and looking at mostly kids and adults and TMD and stuff like that and had put the body piece together. And then I got to the babies and I was like, oh, dang, okay, this is, this is deep. This is, this is big, right? There's so much potential here to, to, um, to really guide, you know, functionality. And so as I began to look at babies differently, what I began to learn was the significance of the birth story, Mm. the significance of the family dynamics and energetics and epigenetics and where they were living and how they were living and, and just all of the different things that played into that together to create this expression of midline nervous system, bone, face, all of that stuff. And I was reading really heady stuff, you know, about evolution of the human head. And I was reading Inlo and all the orthodontic guys, quantum um, orthodontists like Gavin James and, you know, um, following, I met all the people that we, that are household names in this field very early on and lectured and taught with them. And so, um, you know, lots of barroom conversations and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so that's kind of how the foundation of this field was laid was through those, those kinds of um, learnings and doings and, and being with it. But secretly kind of in me, I was watching this, this whole big epigenetic piece unfold. Like I said, family dynamics, um, just the things that were in the way of getting what needed to happen in the, in the human consciousness and body expression. So, um, the, the other part of that is I, I'm a nurse by degree. Um, I became an IBCLC. I went to massage school, um, around before the time that I actually, um, was, um, in all of these myofunctional courses, I sought out someone to help me with the body connection piece because mm-hmm. I wasn't really happy with what was coming back from craniosacral therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there wasn't the movement and the dynamism and the, and the activations that I felt like should be there. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I found Barry Gillespie and I, I took his adult, I took child both, both times when he taught it. And then I co-taught a class with another uh, couple of instructors. And then I was mentored by him. And he and I have a a very wonderful relationship. And because I'd been in dentistry for all of those years, I understood a lot of things like, you know, joint relationship and vertical occlusion and malocclusion and the cranial base and all of those things. And I had taken all of the orthodontic residencies that went along with a lot of the appliances we use today. And so I was pretty well versed, you know, um, in all of that. And so um, he just basically, you know, just bond, we bonded and, and, and I was able to learn, excuse me, learn a lot from him in, in that amount of time, which is still very much a foundation in what I do. And what I've done is redefine a little bit along those lines of, of what I'm doing with the overlay of what I learned from the trauma piece. Mm looking at birth trauma, looking at uh, relationship dynamics between the dyad, um, lack of neurological regulation between the two, 
Um, basically, the, the trauma uh, signatures that come up in the mothers from birth, the, the, the way birth brings up their stuff as well, and then they start that evolutionary journey of, of motherhood, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that's like swirling around in this big, like, you know, like I look like pig pen off of Charlie Brown, you know, with my blanket and all this stuff swirling around. And it, it feels that way sometimes because you really don't want to know what I'm thinking most of the time, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't ask, you know, everybody's learned like, don't, 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 don't do it. Just don't even don't. And so, um, yeah, it's really kind of comical sometimes. Um, but, but just to keep in mind that this is, there is, you know, what I learned in the short, in the short piece of this is this is individuated care. Mm -hmm. It's not standard sequential medical allopathic sequencing mm -hmm. of diagnosis treat or, you know, um, you do this four times and then you do this and then you see this person and you do this and then you get fixed mm. or it works. Mm -hmm. And so um, the other thing that I learned really quickly was that words like fix or work are empty words. They basically, they don't stand up in court. Okay. And nurses chart like they're going to go to court, you know, it's like we can cover a behind like nobody's business. It's what we learn to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you learn charting and nursing process like, like there's a slasher after you, you know, it's like that you, you master those things. And so um, when I was in the clinic um, with my ex, that's the, I created these standards that we practice by. You know, the room was run like a surgery. Mm -hmm. There was a medical reason to treat. There were quantifiable outcomes listed in the chart. Mm -hmm. Very, very high level of practice. And then there was trauma mitigation because a phrenectomy is controlled trauma. Mm -hmm. We are making a cut in the body. Mm -hmm. We're not clipping fingernails. We're not cutting hair. We're in a sensitive, very receptive proprioceptive area of the body that actually is influenced by a lot of neurotransmitters and we're cutting it. Mm -hmm. Everybody shows some respect. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> so all of that was taken into consideration when we set up, you know, clinic protocols and the ways that we dealt with people and informed consent was very, very thorough, you know, all of those kinds of things. So um, that's kind of the, the gist of my background and how I got to where I am today. So what happened? Oh, and here's a, this is an important part. So what happened as a result of my experience is because of the frequency of that, that I am sensitive to and sensitized to mm -hmm. and carry, I began to attract the people mm. who have not gotten their outcomes. Mm -hmm. The, you know, as, 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 my friend Angel Lehman says, you know, when tongue tie goes tits up, I mean, those were my people, mm -hmm. you know, and they would find me and we would, we would recover. We would, we would create new ways of being that were in alignment and resonant with who they were most of the time without a subsequent release. And, um, we dealt with their, their bodies and their, um, embodied trauma and, uh, you know, worked with the nervous system. 
And so keep in mind, you know, that pretty much anything I say is going to be from the perspective of I'm not your first, I'm not your first call. Totally. Most of the time, I'm not going to be the first person that you see. Mm -hmm. I'll probably be close to the last person that you see if you're still in the game. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, maybe we could dive in with this next question of phrasing it in the way of maybe something that you would rephrase. Um, And maybe I could ask the question of why might not a, or why might a tongue tie release or revision um, not work or like, why might it, yeah, quote, not work. So pretty much a hundred percent of the time when somebody tells me that it didn't work, the first question I ask them was, what was your outcome? Mm. Uh, you know, what, what was your goal? Mm-hmm. And here's the secret is the more specific you are about what you want, the more chance you have of getting it. Totally. And if you're an NLP practitioner or you're in the law of attraction or anything like that, the same thing applies in tongue tie. The more specific you are and clear about what it is that you need, the better chance you have of getting it. And I'm not just talking about, well, we want to breastfeed. I'm talking about what is happening in the body functionally that is not happening that you need to happen in order to get breastfeeding. There's, There's things that are not happening that need to happen. The person that's able to identify them on a very, very clear, um, direct level, then you know what you're, you know what you're going for when you release a frenum. Mm -hmm. What kind of practitioner or provider would have that kind of education? It depends, you know what, and here's, okay, so let's have the modality talk. Okay. Okay. So the practitioner and modality talk is that not everyone is trained the same. Not everyone uses the same lens or glasses. And that is, that's a, that's a problem we'll call it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's a, there's a lot of egoic, um, um, lane claiming in our field, right? Because there's so many different kinds of practitioners that can be involved, right? They're not all trained the same and they don't all have the same kind of information, Mm -hmm. right? So um, let's use an example. So when like as a nurse and an IBCLC and a licensed licensed massage therapist, when I'm looking at say a baby and there's a breastfeeding problem. I don't start with the mouth. Mm-hmm. I look at the breath. I look at, you know, the birth history and, um, you know, check, you know, of course the moms always do symptoms lists and they're all always quantified, not just qualified, but quantified. There's numbers attached to those, even though they're subjective, there's numbers attached to that. And I want to know like, okay, well, I've got this list of symptoms. 
Now I'm going to go through the differential diagnosis. I'm going to look at, okay, how's this baby suck, swallow, breathe? That's the vital sign, right? Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my, my quote is breastfeeding is a vital sign. Mm -hmm. If we don't have it, then we ask why. And we keep asking why until we get an answer. And so when I'm looking at a baby and I'm looking at a dyad, I've got questions about this mom, you know, hormonally and physically in her anatomy. Does she have the tissue? Does she have, you know, um, all the other confounding things that might influence, you know, is she able to produce milk? And then I'm looking at the baby. How is this baby breathing? What's their body language like at the breast? What are they telling me about what's going right or not right in this, in this relationship? And then I begin to unpack it in that way. So I'm going to look at that situation, say, differently than maybe a, um, um, maybe even different than an occupational therapist would. They're going to go like straight to the mouth or maybe a speech language pathologist would go straight to the mouth. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to like take the wide angle and then get narrow, whereas somebody else might go really narrow and then maybe not get that wide because their training and their scope and their, their vision or their training may not go that wide. Mm -hmm. So do you see the difference between like the two totally. approaches? Yeah. I so love when you say, who do I go to? Well, you know, for me, I, I like wide to narrow instead of narrow to wide. Mm -hmm. but there's also some SLPs who have beautiful, like wide, wide vision. So, you know, um, this is the subjective, almost um, instinctive thing about finding your people, right? Is being, being willing to be led, being willing to know on a heart level and say no to things that aren't resonant. And um, I think a lot of people are more intent on finding someone who will release a frenum than they are on finding the people who are resonant for their care. 100%. So yeah, because really good practitioners who are global thinkers, right? Who are looking at the big picture, usually have a relationship with someone who does a good release. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Now the opposite is not always true. Someone who does a really good release may not have a, 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 an intimate, <laughs> close connected relationship <laughs> with, with someone who is able to do the, the pre, intra, post, and habilitative care around a procedure. So I, I advocate in, when I'm mentoring people and I'm, and I'm working with healthcare practitioners is, is to, um, to cultivate that kind of view in, in themselves, first of all, so that they're embodied practitioners mm -hmm. um, and that they've dealt with their nervous system glitches and their, their traumas and their stuff. And they're, they're energetically like clean, like they've cleaned up their shadow and if they're, they at least recognize where they're getting triggered. Right. Totally. And then, and then they can bring on the skill. Then it makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of go up, I call it going up the pyramid. Um, and then form those relationships with skilled release providers and create a beautiful team and a beautiful experience for your patients every single time so that you're 
is so that you're getting these amazing experiences and not fragmented traumatic, you know, bits and pieces, you know, so people are having to put their own, you know, their own teams together and still feeling like something's missing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I wonder, um, you know, kind of the, one of the things that you are passionate about is that with your experience in dentistry and just your whole history, you see how things become standard practices. And so you're kind of looking five, 10 years ahead and you're going, you know what, yeah. lasers and phrenectomies, this, what you're seeing is this will be become standard. Um, and if, if, if not enough attention is given to it. And I wonder if, you would describe, you know, the analogy that you gave about going to the mouth first and the whole body um, afterwards versus viewing the whole body first and the mouth later. Is that how you would also approach uh, an oral tie? Can we talk about ties in light yeah. of that? So let's talk about the word ties. So, so there are seven attachments or seven connections in the mouth. There are oral, frenula, frenums, frena. There's lots of F-E-R-N words that go with that. And there's three in the top lip, three in the lower lip, and one under the tongue. There's in the top lip, there's one in the middle and two on the sides called buckles, one in the cen in lower central lip and two on the side called buckles. And then there's one under the tongue. And there's two distinctions under the tongue. There's an anterior aspect and a posterior aspect. Although we call that just kind of one for the tongue. Mm -hmm. So those are naturally occurring attachments from muscle to bone. We have frenums all over our body. We have them under our earlobes. We have them between our thumb and our first finger. We have them in our pelvic floor. Um, male and female anatomy both have frenums in the pelvic floor. Um, so frenums are a natural occurring, we have them between our toes, you know? Um, and the way that they are expressed genetically, epigenetically are um, kind of like governors on, on, um, bone and muscle relationships, right? So just like you put a governor on a car to keep it from going too fast, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. This is the governor. Now is the governor restricting movement or is it allowing too much opening or movement? It's, it's, it, they are relationship definers. I call them our friends. Now, when you have one that say, um, let's use the scientific piece of, there's some evidence that in the lingual aspect, there's a migration of a certain kind of collagen cell um, in the neural crest that's supposed to be one tissue, one another place, and this other tissue under the tongue is supposed to be of another type. And there's some evidence in the literature that this cell migrates and it creates a restriction that puts a governor on the movement. Mm. It doesn't allow for the kind of movement that it, that is required for a healthy um, muscle bone skin relationship, right? So it's an hit, it's, it's a reason for these prop, the problems that you might have. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there are, there are neurological impacts. All these are pieces of fascia. They're all connective tissue that are reflections and also uh, representatives of, of fascia, which is all the connective tissue in the body that's, um, that's a microtubule that's 
literally around every cell and it's, it's, um, it gives us our structure and it's, uh, and it's part of the nervous system. And so, um, for example, if, if your nervous system is activated and, um, you have a traumatic response of tightening up, then it'll activate that tissue and it'll step up and stabilize you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, I've got you, I'm not going to let this get out of control. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got reason and response. So that's why, you know, like not every time you look in the mouth and you see the visible frenums, are they ankyloglossia or ankylophrenula, meaning ankylos means like to tie or tighten or um, root down in a, in a firm way that can't be moved, right? Mm-hmm. So we call them ties for short, tongue tie, lip tie, but that's ankyloglossia, ankylophrenula is the, is the medical term. So that's the, the, the quality of being ankylo, ankylosed, right? Mm-hmm. So that won't move. Um, but just because we see these frenums doesn't mean that they're ankylosed or ankyloglossed. It means that you need to ask some different questions. Like, is this a reason or response? Mm, love that. Yeah. And so that's the way I teach in mentorship, this kind of, let's look at the big picture. Like mm-hmm. this, this baby just had, you know, and I've seen this so many times. Um, and it's so interesting to me how just in the last year, I think I've lectured twice on trauma and the impact of trauma on phrenectomy and, and tongue tie and outcomes. Mm. Um, and I'm like, well, it makes perfect sense. But at the same time, it's like, wow, okay, here we go. This was, <laughs> reminds me of the time that I was like at the IETP years ago. And I talked about the, the buckle attachments as, you know, inhibitors for, you know, maxillary, the maxillary, the maxillary, bone coming forward and, and the impact that it has on the, the face and all the things that we had seen in practice and bone changes and all that. And everybody went, well, if you believe in that, and I'm like, well, you know what, just a few years ago, we didn't believe in lip and tongue tie either, but Hey, you know, <laughs> whatever. Exactly. You know, so it's like, it's, it's, it's like, do we, do we really want to talk about whether it's a belief system or not? Or do we really want to talk about, you know, is this, does this have a scientific basis? And then how do we, create non-biased ways of looking at that and just staying curious and being with it. Right. Um, but there's a lot of very well-known people who are quick to dismiss a lot of things that are like, Hey, there they are. There's seven of them, classify them all, evaluate them all, let them all have their say in the function. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, where was it? Well, I feel like you totally answered the question and it was like a nice lead to, okay. (laughs) I was, you know, going back to that whole mouth analogy of looking at the body first, when you look at a baby, I'm trying to even remember where you, where you started with story and where you started with COA when you worked on, when you looked at my own children, when you look at a child, you know, you, let's say a mom comes to you and is like, Hey, my, I suspect a tongue tie, or I suspect a lip tie. You don't even look in the mouth first, which was so fascinating to me to to learn about where, where do you look first on a, on a child? Well, I look at the birth story. I go right, I go right to the birth and I had 
watched your birth mm-hmm. unfold and I saw, you know, what was happening and you telling the story and I'm like, she'll, she's going to show up in my inbox. It's okay. You know, I knew you'd be there and, and I knew exactly what had happened, mm. you know, and I'm like, okay, story's got a story. She's going to tell her story mm-hmm. and let's see what she has to say. Totally. So totally. we're just soul to soul, just like, okay, sister, let me, let me see what you got. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, looking at her functionally and then watching her, her feed and then, you know, paying attention as she's growing. That's called anticipatory growth. We know they're going to grow. We know that, you know, I know that babies that have had, you know, a rough, a rough ride in, you know, when they start to grow, that's a new edge, right? Mm-hmm. So the brain to the frame has to decide, do I want to go there? Is that okay? Can mm-hmm. I be in that new space? And some, some babies need help with that neuroregulation around the fact that they've just grown into this new space, right? So that's why I don't call what I do unwinding because, you know, that, that what we're doing is we're helping them neuroregulate into their new being, Mm -hmm. their new edges. Mm -hmm. And then when you, when you, when you help them get into the new edge and beyond, they can create new space they can learn to use that space. And then if they're well-resourced, they can maintain that space and then they're going to do it all over again, mm-hmm. right? Because they're going to auger and spiral forward in time. They're going to evolve. They're going to roll out, right? Their being and their consciousness and their function. And just what, you know, just being with that while it happens, you know, watching the story, she, she had no medical reason to treat. Mm-hmm. She had, she had no medical reason. I, you know, she had a, she had a frenum that was visible and it was tight and I'm watching her and I'm like, hmm, yeah, this isn't, this isn't surgery worthy. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to let her keep on going. And then when you had mastitis, I said, Hey, let's check that function out. Totally. Not, and I'm thinking this sister's not growing into her frame. She's not, she's pushing and she's trying and she's, she's going to, you know, she's going to tell us where it is. And then we got into that low back at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then now she's at a different place and she started teething and now she's up in the, she's up in the cranial base and the the cervical spine. And now the other day when we were together, she's like, she doesn't even crawl and she's practically crawling over to me like, okay, let's, let's do it again. You know? And she's, you know, she's howling at the moon and she's doing her thing. And, you know, and, and, and we're right there with her, you know, just, just, you know, being with her in her moment. And, um, you know, the really cool thing about those kinds of vocalizations when babies are having work done is that's a forced exhale and a forced inhale, and they know they're going to breathe. And so when I'm working with a baby and we're in the different planes of movement, I'm always feeling them. Are they breathing? What's their respiration like? you know, because that tells me a lot about what happened in the birth of, did they stop breathing in a certain body position? Mm. And usually their body will even tell me how long they held their breath or whatever, you know, if it was a nuchal cord or whatever, it's all just, it's in, it's the body keeps the score, right? Levine. It's, Mm -hmm. it's all of the trauma, um, 
researchers have laid the groundwork for this, this to be known and to be respected in our, our littlest, our littlest preverbal beings. Exactly. You said something earlier that I, I think that people will have a follow-up question on, and it's whenever you said that story did not have a medical reason to treat. So mm-hmm. how would you as a, as a practitioner or whenever you're working with a baby, how do you, how would you differentiate between the two? Yeah. So, so in, when I'm assessing a, um, a person, I treat it like a, like a mathematical proof or like algebra, right? Which is really comical because I didn't understand algebra till I was in my thirties and I was teaching my own kids in homeschool, which is like really embarrassing. I made a D in algebra and all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, this is so, math is so much fun, right? <laughs> And so, like, Mom, stop. Oh my gosh. And then I got into physics and then it was over. It was oh like, my gosh. oh my gosh. I'm like so amazed right now, you know, <laughs> because, you know, when people start like talking about like post-op care and all that, I'm like, um, did you know the law of topology that's called the Harry ball theorem says that you really can't do that. It's not going to work. Wow. You know, there's a law of physics around the fact that that is not going to work. <laughs> and everybody's like, shut <laughs> up, you know, be quiet. This homeschool mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So it's like, you've got your, your parenthesis with your functions in the middle, right? And you've got like these sets of parenthesis and, and the first one is like, okay, your anatomy goes in that one. And then the next one, your function goes in and then there's variables and surprises and stuff goes in the other one. And then you got the equal sign and then you got an outcome on the other side. Mm -hmm. Right. So I like put all of the information that I'm assessing in these, these parentheses. And then I work the equation in each parenthesis and add it all together. And then I say, okay, does this, equal the outcome that we need. Hmm. And then it becomes really super clear if you, you know, clear, clear the trauma, regulate the nervous system, you know, work with the suck, swallow, breathe, the breathing reflex, the, the, the body posture in relationship to what they're doing, the functional feeding, and you watch all this down regulate and co-regulate and come together. It becomes really clear if a frenum is impeding function, mm-hmm. really clear, because um, in I mean it's like super clear to me, but it's it's all there, right? And you know I you know I had this joke with my ex. I I would you know I'd tell him I'm like I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this whole department in our practice out of business. You know I thought it was such a little you know a little press about that. And I know now that there are times where we're definitely going to have to need that. We, we need that. And I teach a whole course on the perioperative experience and how to mitigate trauma and prepare, you know, be with them and then recover them. And I have a ton of respect for that whole process. I love that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I do that is what you've done by assessing and working in each one of the segments is you're actually preparing them if they do need a release they're ready to go because you've done all of your differential and you've worked with all of the pieces. And then the brain has a, has a direct connection to the frame and the body has some information about where it's going. Mm -hmm. So then when you go in and you do that release, you've actually pre-programmed where the body's going. And then it's like the 
angels sing and the planets line up and oh, and then just, just like this magical thing that's like nine times out of 10, we're getting, we're getting more outcome than the parent even had a vision for exactly. because during the, 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 this side of the equation, we've actually educated the parent on what functional posturing looks like, what the neck needs to look like, where the eyes need to be, where the shoulders and the hips need to be. And, and they're like, oh, 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 this is so much better. This is so much more comfortable. This is, wow, you know, I didn't know this about my baby. And then you can introduce them to the dynamism that's in their body and how they want to move and how they want to be free and, and then teach them to not be afraid of that and to embrace and encourage that. And then it marries beautifully in with, if you need a functional phrenectomy. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. We did one last week here on Maui, the first functional phrenectomy on Maui. And, and, and the after, uh, you know, I was there and I, I do surrogacy. So I, I, I hold the baby the whole time and, and we go immediately into their movement and connecting brain to frame and regulation of the breath. And, you know, I'm assessing them the whole time, making sure that the breath is on and, and that the, you know, helping the doctor with the muscular, like, you know, um, the, the feeling of the muscles in relationship to the bone and the cranium and all the, you know, all the stuff, all the nerdy stuff. And so I'm helping the doctor and the doctors feel supported. And it's, it's just this, it's intense, no mm -hmm. lie, it's intense. And it has the potential to be just a really beautiful experience. And that's, that's what we had last week was an amazing outcome. Totally. Well, and that's what I want to emphasize on this episode is the, is the word outcome. Because, you know, when I post about the work that we do with story, I will get pushback sometimes of you cannot be, um, you know, essentially encouraging people to not get a release, which by the way, I've never done, but that there's this fear that, you know, not actually removing the frenum is going to lead to X, Y, Z down the road. But your definition of outcome is so different than what that definition of outcome would be, which is the removal of the actual, you know, frenum. Now, what we're treating is now. Exactly. Function in the now. We're not treating the future, we're treating the now. And, you know, ethically, um, that's a big part of, I mean, that's super important, is, um, is treating the now. And, you know, I, 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 I stand by that. Um, and, you know, and here's another scenario is when, um, when, people say, well, my baby's tied to the tip and we're not having any problems, then, you know, depending on what lens you put on it, structurally, I can usually find where that baby's compensating. And, you know, we can address those compensations earlier if the parent is of that, is of that mind. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a piece there where I'm not, I'm not lording over or pushing some kind of like anticipatory growth agenda on a, a parent. Um, I mean, my fourth born was tied to the tip and, you know, breastfed until he was 16 months and went straight to the table, never choked, never gagged. Speech was perfect. Body was beautiful. Never had ortho. I mean, he's an anomaly. 
you know, but ask yourself the question. It's like, okay, so now he did end up getting a release um, just because, you know, I felt like socially, like, okay, and I had the knowledge at that point. I'm like, okay, he really does need to be able to stick out his tongue. And he really wasn't for it, but I said, you know, son, I'm just gonna be straight up honest with you. And we had a, we had a talk, you know, we had to talk about life. And, um, and so we did myofunctional therapy and we did all the, you know, the access to what we had as far as um, great care, integrative care. And, you know, my ex did his release and it was beautiful. So. And how old was he when he got his release? 13, 14 or something like that. Wow. And you're, I mean, I think that's pretty significant even looking at his background of just without the release, but you putting the work in functionally for the outcome. Yeah. We were able to see, it was like for kind of, yeah, it wasn't like a, um, a, a functional need for ortho or for yeah. airway or any of that to get the no. release done. Wow. No, it was wow. social. It was for him, social reasons. Yeah. Ah. So, yeah. So will it, so here's the thing is we've, we've created this narrative where it's like, well, if we have this clinical picture, then we're going to get this in the future. And, and so that's supposed to justify doing a release. Well, here's the thing. If you've worked in functional orthodontics, craniofacial orthodontics, you know, you'll see a lot of kids come in who had releases done in like in the first three years of life mm. and, and they have these issues. Mm -hmm. They have the ones that are classic with, you know, what we would describe as tongue tie. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, is that really what we're, is that really what we're dealing with here? I have different ideas. I, you know, don't want to fly my freak flag like that right now, but I have, I have different ideas about how and why those things happen or do not happen. And so, you know, my approach is that, you know, and, and remember, you know, I, I wouldn't see kids typically until they were their third time back in braces or mm -hmm. they had had two re two phrenectomies or, you know, they were, they were staring down the barrel at a CPAP or whatever. And then what I would do is what I do now. And what I teach practitioners is, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to build you a foundation. We're going to build you a, at every point that makes you human, we're going to, we're going to shore you up in all of the ways that you interact with the world and, and kind of bring you into alignment and expre full expression of yourself. And then we're going to go up a rung. We're going to, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do this. And then when you get to the top of the pyramid, then it's like, okay, now maybe you can go back into braces. Um, now that you're, you know, you're co-regulating better and you understand yourself better and you understand some of the dynamics that are, you know, going on around you then you have a different way of interacting with the world and expressing yourself and all that. And, <clears throat> and things change, you know, so that's, that's the, that's the, that's the paradigm that I'm operating out of now. And I say that now because I've been doing that for about six, seven years. And the thing about it is, Corey, is that in the next 10 years, we're going to experience more changes on the earth than we've had in 10,000 years mm. with the way technology is rolling out and what's happening socially and politically and all that. I mean, the human, even in what we've experienced in the last two years, the tsunami of what's coming from that epigenetic impact has just created job security for all kinds of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
So we cannot deny the impact that this disconnection in our social systems and and all the ways that we have community and ourselves and our families has impacted us. And those epigenetics are gonna are gonna be long and strong in the in the human from here on out. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of epigenetics, I wonder if you have a a theory on why we see more tongue ties now than we did 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um you know, I, so if you look at the history, I mean, it's, it's been around forever and midwives used to, you know, clear it with their long fingernail and, you know, and, and we've got lithographs and, and images of that procedure being done in the 1600s. And, and so we've got evidence that this has been with us since, you know, humanity as far as we can tell. And so um, when we got out of World War II, um, you know, what we had was because of the war, we had a lot of bottle feeding. And so along after that came women in the workforce and then the feminist movement. And so a lot of women were bottle feeding, right? Mm -hmm. And so breastfeeding was not as in vogue. And, you know, basically when you take something out of, of the the treatment sphere for that long, you know, it's it's out of sight, out of mind, right? So we're not registering with that. And then when when it all kind of came back around with women wanting to breastfeed again, um, interestingly enough, what we're experiencing is we experienced like all kinds of technology at that same time, right? Mm. So we've got all of these other influencing factors that are coming in as well that our nervous system influencers, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so do we have more tongue tie? I don't know. I mean, I haven't really seen a lot of unbiased, really clear, clean, um, you know, looks at prevalence. Um, I know there's a lot of studies out there and okay, so I've seen things as high as 46% and as low as five to 10%. So we know that somewhere in the range of five to ten percent, forty-six percent of the babies, we've got some type of something going on, mm -hmm. you know. And then, um, you know, and and then we've also got the the allopathic model, which is to diagnose and treat. Mm -hmm. So hammer nail, <laughs> you no, know, right? Exactly. Um, tie laser, mm -hmm. tie scissors, right? So it's that hammer nail thing, and so. Um, I think, um, you know, people that are of a more, like I said, global thinking in this, in this, um, in the presentation are just asking like myself and I know quite, quite a few other practitioners were asking different questions. Exactly. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, am I questing because I want information mm -hmm. or I, am I asking a question because I have the answer mm. and I want to give you the answer. Mm -hmm. Right. So what's the intention and the motive and where's the clean curiosity of, can I be okay with not voicing my judgment or opinion? And can I sit with this interesting situation and let it teach me? Exactly. Yeah. So science is actually created to disprove something. Mm-hmm. You can't di try to ant to disprove. Then are you really doing science? Or are you just you know like 
touting a narrative? Are you just adopting all this talk? Now, the other thing that's happened in the last 20, 30 years is universities have begun to put together these correlatives and and um, done research around them, especially related to sleep apnea, which is apparently at, at, at epidemic uh, levels. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in reverse engineering that, we've got to have something to, to as a causative, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't come up with a way to treat it, then what are, what are we doing anyway, right? So, you know, the, the identification as the lingual frenum as a phenotypic marker for sleep apnea is, is one of the big studies that came up. Um, also, you know, different palatal shapes and cranial shapes and all that that are contributing to sleep disordered breathing and just the impact that that has on our kids and learning and a bunch of other stuff, all very valid research, right? Sure. Um, and at the same time, do we have in medicine the ability to ethically treat the future based on this presentation in an assessment. Exactly. You see the you see the curiosity here. I'm just I'm like let's just let's just ask. Do we have it? Is it here? And if we do, then how are we going to back that up? And then how are we going to how are we going to ethically um, you know deal with that in in our practices and you know do surgery for prevention? Absolutely. Yeah. And for everyone that their wheels are turning and everything is clicking in their minds as you're saying it, how would you go about finding someone that aligns with this curiosity and just how we want to be curious about our, our babies? I know that you are not partial to a certain body work over yeah. another. Yeah. No, I'm not. It's really, uh, it's really about the practitioner. So I know it's, it's interesting. It's like, use support groups for support. Mm-hmm. Like I need a meal. I need some help. I need someone, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there are a lot of very benevolent local groups where, you know, use them for support. Crowdsourcing on the other hand is a little bit more challenging because then it's like, unless you really know that person and you have an experience with them as a person and as a family and are intimate with what happened with their child, then, you know, maybe you don't want to use, you don't want to use, you know, social media for crowdsourcing what you need because you're a very different person. So I'm of the mindset that what we need is around us Mm. and we may not see it. Mm. And so if we are of that mind, then can we, through that intention, draw to us, come in contact with, um, through clean curiosity, ask questions that take us in the path of a certain person? Um, you know, that's, that's how I love uh, to be supported. That's fantastic. Well, and it kind of comes back to... Um... What, what is the phrase that, sorry, my, my plant just fell over. Um, what, is, what is the phrase, the reticular um, activation where you see the credit system? Yeah. So like when you're shopping like a car and, and you want to get a Land Rover and all of a sudden you're seeing them all over the place or all of a sudden you think you want a Tesla and they're everywhere. It's that kind of thing. It's like what you're sensitizing your 
your memory to and almost create, here's what I love to do is I tell people in your heart, in your body, create the experience that you want to have mm. and feel that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Joseph Spinza's work, right? Is go in and create what you want and then hold that and as a vibration, hold that as a frequency. And then, you know, so it might be that you, so, you know, your baby's losing weight and you need some help with breastfeeding, go get that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if something's offered to you, like you need a release, you know, as long as you've got a way to feed the baby right then, take a moment for yourself and just be, be with yourself. How do I feel about this? Mm. You know, how do I, do I, do I really feel like this is going to create the experience that I want? Mm -hmm. And own your K-N-O-W, your no in your heart, and your N-O, which is, I may not have the thing, I can't see it yet, but I know that's not it. So I'm going to say no to that. And I'm going to, I'm going to give that other thing a chance to go in because guess what? You can always go back to the thing you said no to. Exactly. You can always go back to that. They're going to be there. It's not like they're going to close up shop. Mm -hmm. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You can be in yourself and you can be with yourself and you can, and you can, if you've got a partner, you can, you can collab with your partner and say, Hey babe, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this and I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Um, and then ask for some, ask for some feedback. I mean, if you're in a relationship like that, then let them support you in that way. You know, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that, was, that was always a big thing when I would, um, be with couples is, are you both in agreement with what needs to happen here? Are you supportive of each other? Do you have each other's backs right now? This is not going to be easy. I'm going to support you all I can, but you guys are going to have to be united Absolutely. in this, you know, to yeah. be able to, to carry on. I got a message from, um, from someone yesterday who had said that she was speaking to her husband about the next step being a phrenectomy. And he actually went on YouTube. And he just like looked at a video of one. That's like all he did was just baby phrenectomy, type that in, popped it in and watched the video. And he was like, no, he's like, we're not, we're not doing that. And, uh, that was, he led that step. And, and I'm not saying that people should fear uh, a phrenectomy based on a video, but, um, he had a very strong, very strong conviction mm -hmm. and they came to a mutual decision because that conviction was so strong and she was so on board with it. And I thought it was so beautiful that there was you know, man led and for him to be in tune with his own gut instinct. I just thought that was really, really powerful. Um, yeah, fear is a very, fear is a very interesting emotion, right? So, um, and it acts differently in different people, right? So for some people, it's like, they, they, it, it's like, whoa, I'm afraid that I'm going to stop. And then other people are like, it can be an excited, it can be an excitatory too, where you're like, I'm a little bit scared of that. I'm going to go in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, you can't, you can't judge that, but you have to know yourself and your own nervous system in relationship to that. And, you know, I love, I love working with couples. And um, if it happens to be a, a, a female male um, mom, dad, um, you know, dads are so much fun and they love to help. They want to know how to help. I mean, I've helped so many dads, like here's how you can hold your baby and here's the thing you can do. And, and, you know, here's, 
and, and they, they love it, you know, and they're like, well, why do we have to do all this like body work? And I'm like, well, you know, you wouldn't put new tires on a car that needs a front end alignment. So yeah. let's talk about that and let's get the new, and then we'll get the new tires put on it. So you're, you know, you got some mileage going there, you know, yeah. and they get it. They're like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. Here, take my, they love it over there. And I'm like, okay, cool. Car analogy. Yeah. And they're like, I'm on board. <laughs> you can, you know, you can do it. So, yeah. So so wrapping it up with a couple more questions, essentially what Michelle is saying is it could be a massage therapist. It could be a body worker near you. It could be a chiropractor. It could be, it's essentially the point she's making not to put words in your mouth is that it's not an emergency situation and that yeah. we have time. Yeah. If you're, you know, if, if you're being led like this is an emergency you need to start asking questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for example, if your baby's at the breast and they're like, well, we've got to get this done, you know, or your baby's not going to breastfeed or your baby's going to stop breastfeeding or whatever. I tell everybody, make sure you've got an alternative way to feed your baby before you go get a procedure. Because if that baby strikes at the breast, then you've got another way to feed your baby. If you're, if you're working with a reputable IBCLC, they know that mm -hmm. they know better and they do better. And, um, and so that's like super important. And if you're breastfeeding, do not go into procedure without IBCLC support. Mm -hmm. Do not, do not do, do not do that. <laughs> um, and you know, so it's like, I, I talk about the syncing up of time. So the ramping up of the energy and ramping up of the, em of emergent care is not helpful when you're talking about the midline because the midline is very responsive to stress. Mm -hmm. Right. That's such a great point. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think we can just kind of put behind this idea of um, fear of timeline based yeah. on the discussion that we had today of these, these things, these things we can take some space and take some time to make a decision on. Yeah. And I think you were really like, you asked that question, that poll question about, did you get your result? And it was almost 50, 50, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'll just say that, you know, if you, if you got a release and you got your outcome, beautiful, mm -hmm. wonderful, instead of advocating for a procedure, advocate for the patient 100%. because the individuality around these situations, it's as unique as the person. Mm -hmm. And so honoring the individuality and uniqueness and soul of the patient, that's old school nursing stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I was taught that in school 35 years ago and I'm still in that space. Call me old school, but that's you know, it, it's honoring the journey of that family. And I always say that, you know, a, a, a frenum that, that is actually a tie or oral feeding dysfunction, you know, if you can get to the point where you look at it as a, it's the present, it's happening now, and it's a present, mm -hmm. there is usually so much gold there as a, as a family that's blessing that if you can open yourself up to it, you, you will be so thankful for your journey. And, you know, I look back at my situation and I go, yeah, that, that really kind of blew, you know, when I was laying in the hospital, like trying to decide if I was going to live or die. And at the same time, I look back and go, wow, there's so much gold there for me. Because when I came out of that, 
I created what is now the foundation that I teach to other people who were in the same situation that I, I was in. Exactly. How do they rebuild and build back better? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, wrapping it up with kind of a, uh, kind of a fun practical question is kind of more on the physiological level talking about, um, just creating, you know, expansion and fluidity with our babies. How can we kind of set at home, even from at home for free, you know, what kind of things do we have at our fingertips to encourage movement in our babies instead of flexion and collapse? Yeah. So, um, just a couple of things that, um, you know, that I, I recommend that parents do is, um, gosh, there's so many, it's so many individuations, um, here and individual scenarios. So it's blanket, blanket recommendations are really hard because I'm so specific and individuated with different families because energetically I can tell like what they're struggling with and, Mm -hmm. and what's going on. Um, most babies, there's the qualifier, (laughs) most babies love to have their glutes, like their butt just massaged and rubbed and put up on the bone. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so relaxing, you know, so massage their butts, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just gently and, and get that muscle up on the bone. It feels so good to them because the breath starts in the perineum and then goes up, you know, to the, to the head. Um, so that's a good one. Um, Oh, what's another one? Um, depending on the age of the baby, you know, they can like lay in your lap, like with their booty kind of between your legs a little bit and just kind of let their backs like kind of just gently go back over the the leg of course if they don't have head control you want to offer some support there but a lot of times they'll just push their little head down in your hand because they're trying to open up the front body Mm -hmm. and so babies are so communicative with their movements and they'll literally if you know what if you know the language they'll they'll show you what they're asking for they they Mm -hmm. talk they, they talk it it's a language um, I like, you know, just gently massaging feet, feet and hands, you know, just, just massaging the feet and hands to where they're just kind of the, the little soft curls and the feet are just kind of like the little baby paws, you know, that's such a good, <laughs> that's such a good one too. Um, you know, older babies, um, they love to salsa. So they, they actually like, you know, to, to roll their hips back and forth and kind of figure it, this is an older baby, right? So roll their hips back and forth, you know, they, they actually really kind of enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So those are just a few things that I can think of off the cuff, you know? So good. I was thinking whenever you said the second one, just today's story was kind of laying in my husband's lap on the bed and she just started doing her own thing, twirling and twisting and completely on her own without even any, our hands leading her just did her own little thing for like 20 minutes, just untwisting and arcing and stretching. And she just was having a ball. Exploring her body and her range of motion, right? Because that's how their being is through their body. And, you know, it's like I've said before, you know, pain, we're taught in nursing school, pain is what the patient says it is. Trauma is what the body says it is. Mm-hmm. And so the, the trauma loops in the body and it loops in, in the in the nervous system and how we coordinate our body processes. And when we get in touch with that and we begin to move, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's so beautiful because it creates a whole new level of safety in the body. Mm -hmm. And, and then you can open up more into yourself. Um, you know, a, a lot of moms that, um, that I'll work with too, they'll come to, um, I have a, um, a class that I created, very inexpensive class. It's based on polyvagal theory. So you actually get in the floor and proprioceptive feedback to your side body, your front body, your back body. And we activate, you know, our body in ways that with contact to the ground that make us feel safer. And um, I don't know if you want to put a link up for that class. Um, very inexpensive. It's Awaken Your Bow class. It's with Amanda Cepeda and me. I, I do it because I love it. I don't get paid for it. And I like for Amanda to get paid and cause so she'll be there because mm -hmm. I'm selfish that way. <laughs> and, um, and this is one of the ways that I healed my body after, you know, uh, everything went sideways. Um, and it's created so much safety in my body and so much openness. And what's beautiful is like the, the moms who come to class, their babies will be crawling around them and they come up and they feel them and they touch them because that's how they're informing their own brain to what's happening in the, in the, in the, in the horizon, right? It's like, oh, what is she doing? And they're touching and they're feeling. And then, and then it's, it's funny because moms will do this class and then they'll send me pictures of their babies sleeping in this beautiful open posture with this open throat and their hips back and their lips are together. And I'm like, Oh, look at that. <laughs> All they did was, was start moving their bodies differently. And energetically the mom through her own motions can give this to their child, just like, just like we do as humans. Exactly. And I'll t attest to this that I did like a 30 minute bow session one morning and I posted a picture of story napping and she was in a different napping position than normal. And what Michelle just described was the exact position that she was in. And it was the most, yeah, it was the most perfect sleeping position I'd ever seen her in. It was after I took time for myself to align my body and create expansion in my body. So it's just, um, it's really, really life-changing when you come at, come at it with that approach of, how Michelle likes to say, putting the oxygen mask oh, yeah. mm -hmm. on yourself. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what I do with families is I try to remove as much as I can, the emergent hypervigilance and anxiety around what's happening and give them ways to be able to do what they need to do. And then as quickly as I can get that mom resourced and moving and creating safety in her own body so she can down regulate. And then clarity the the blinders start to move back the clarity starts to come on the fog starts to roll away and um and and life begins to actually get better mm -hmm. and then you can start talking about you don't just want your baby to eat you want the thing after it which is i don't know fill in the blank mm -hmm. you know it's the subtext of what you're going to get after you have the thing because that's a variable on everybody's outcome is the thing after the thing Absolutely. So good. Thank you so much, Michelle. Where can people find you and get in contact with you? And I will put a link to all of these things, but what, what kind of, um, what are you offering right now as okay. far as mentorship? Yeah, so, so right now, um, anything I have to offer is in my link tree, in the bio and Instagram, please don't DM me because <laughs> 
it's been a lot lately, I'm just going to say, and, you know, love you guys and all of that, but, you know, send me an email. And so I have a mentorship for practitioners because I have a real heart for practitioners. The burnout rate in this, in this field is very high. And so a lot of practitioners will come to me like, I'm going to go work at Starbucks now because I'm done. <laughs> And I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm serious. They're like, I don't care. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go work at Lowe's. And, and so they're, they're done. Right. And, and I actually really love to work with practitioners who are, who are done. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's an area that I really enjoy. And then I have, um, I'm actually going to teach the perioperative weekend to practitioners and they don't have to do the mentorship and that'll be in June. I haven't updated the dates on that though. Cause we just had airway camp a couple of weeks ago and I'm still recovering. Um, airway camp will be again in June. And that's an opportunity for mentees to come to Maui and we all work together. And then I've got, Oh, I've got a group on Facebook. It's untreat. And so that's basically the mentorship that you did with me a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's divided into payments and it's six months long and it's going to cover the foundation. And that's what that is. And that can be parents. It can be practitioners. It can be um, anybody. I'd prefer uh, parents. Um, I like practitioners to, to do other things. Um, and then, uh, Oh, uh, Dr. Molly and Natalie and I just shot four hours of video yesterday. We've got a course coming out for parents um, that's going to be reasonably priced. And it's going to be just um, basically we're going to surrogate ourselves out to you as a team and and um, just kind of, you know, give you the 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 practical um, <clears throat> way to start, I guess, in your in your journey, if you're if you're having that. And um, you try to bring some clarity in that way as well. And so I'm not exactly sure when that'll be out, but there'll be a launch for that probably in the next four to six weeks, I'm guessing. And you guys will hear about that from me because I will be hyping, hyping that up because I believe in this so much. I'm so excited that you said this because I've been sitting on this and I just feel like it's this, this little present I've been sitting on. I just, I haven't, it's been, it's been hard to contain it. That's for sure. Oh, okay. How, <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. Just, I know how much there is a need for it and you guys are fulfilling that need. And I know that parents and practitioners, but I mean, just especially mom, my heart being for moms, just being tremendously blessed by that. So I'm so excited for your course to launch. Super. I'm excited too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. And I hope you guys enjoyed this and we will see you in the next episode.